Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Connie. Today is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. To start off, Riverside is expected to see a balmy high of 94.6 degrees today, with a low of 71.1 degrees. Buckle up for hot news, too, as we dive into the upcoming political spectacle. A major GOP primary debate for the 2024 election cycle is on the cards, but President Trump is noticeably absent from the picture. In climate news, a landmark legal suit in Montana may be a game changer. The lawsuit has declared that young people have a right to a safe climate. We'll unpack what this could mean for future litigation. Over in the celestial realm, India has scrawled its name into the annals of history with the successful landing of Chandrayaan-3 near the moon's south pole. Finally, we'll touch on the pharmaceutical world. Novo Nordisk has selected Thermo Fisher as a second manufacturer for their widely applauded weight loss drug, Wegovy. Stay tuned for all these stories and more on Alex News. Our top story this morning is the upcoming GOP primary debate for the 2024 election cycle. To discuss this further, let's bring in our news director, Elias. Elias, there seems to be quite a mixture of news on this. Can you take us through it? Absolutely, Connie. We have reports from a variety of credible sources. Politico, NPR, BBC News, The Associated Press, and CNN, all furthering the discussion on this primary debate and who's in the race. It sounds like there's quite a bit to unravel here. Let's start with what Politico is reporting. Certainly. Politico outlines the stakes for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is reportedly struggling in his campaign and is viewing this debate as a crucial moment. But grabbing most headlines is former President Donald Trump's decision not to participate in the debate, despite leading in the polls. That sounds like a peculiar strategy from Trump. What's the consensus on that? Indeed, Connie, NPR offers some insights on the matter. They noted that Trump opted to appear in an interview with Tucker Carlson on Fox News during the time of the debate, seemingly countering the event organized by the Republican National Committee itself. This draws attention to how the remaining candidates handle his absence on stage and which topics they choose to address. Bypassing traditional debate formats does seem very Trump-esque. What light has BBC News shed on this? BBC News acknowledges the absence of Trump, but emphasizes the importance of the debate for the other qualified candidates. On the stage, there will be eight candidates, and with Trump out of the picture, this debate could be a game-changer if there's a strong performance. That surely leads us to another key character in all of this, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. How has his situation been presented? Yes, AP covers DeSantis extensively in their report portraying the governor as an underdog in need of a strong showing to solidify his position as the alternative to Trump. What about CNN? Are they also focusing on this debate? Not as much, Connie. CNN's report revolves mostly around the ongoing Georgia 2020 election subversion case involving Donald Trump and co-defendants. It's not directly related to the GOP primary debate, but the case certainly impacts Trump's broader political narrative. Interesting. And I understand there's another topic intertwined in the news today? Yes, indeed. The role of AI in education is a noteworthy subject matter that's been looped into the conversation. 
The U.S. Department of Education is reportedly investigating how AI can enhance educational experiences while wrestling with concerns like plagiarism, cheating, data privacy, and algorithmic bias. So, in a nutshell, Elias, the primary attention is on this upcoming debate, Trump's absence, and the potential it provides for other GOP candidates. Exactly, Connie. It's setting the stage for a significant shift in the campaign narratives, especially for candidates like DeSantis. There also are a slew of peripheral subjects like the ongoing legal cases involving Trump and debates over emergent technologies in education. Thank you, Elias. A lot to digest there. I am sure our viewers will be paying close attention to this GOP primary debate and how it could shape the 2024 election. Now, on to our second story of the day. We move over to Montana, where a state judge has pronounced a landmark ruling related to a climate lawsuit. This verdict has sent ripples through the legal community and beyond. Grace, can you break down the basics of this particular ruling for us? Absolutely, Connie. This ruling is truly unprecedented. Here's the crux of it. A judge in Montana declared that young people have a fundamental right to a safe and stable climate system. Now, this judicial action stands out because it rules Montana's aggressive push for fossil fuel development without considering future climate impacts, a violation of the state's constitutional guarantee for a clean and healthful environment. So it sounds like this could be earth-shaking for climate litigation, potentially setting a precedent for future lawsuits. What are legal experts saying about the implications of such a ruling? You're right, Connie. Both NPR and legal experts from the Harvard Law School believe this ruling could have far-reaching ramifications. Essentially, it could spark similar climate litigation worldwide. And that's because the court's record from this case provides a detailed account of climate science, which future lawsuits could possibly draw upon. Now, another interesting part about the ruling was the declaration of state laws unconstitutional. Would you expand on that a little? Sure thing, Connie. According to the Harvard Law School's coverage, the ruling determined that state laws barring officials from considering possible climate impacts during the fossil fuel-related permit decision-making process are unconstitutional. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. But what does it all mean moving forward? Can the state contest this ruling? Good point, Connie. It's crucial to highlight that the state attorney general does plan to appeal this ruling, so the final outcome is still up in the air. If it's upheld on appeal, we could witness similar cases popping up in states with environmental protection clauses in their constitution. I'm curious about how this ruling might be useful at the federal level and in other states. Any further insights on that? That's a valid question, Connie. Now, while this ruling is historical and a cause for celebration for the climate activists, its applicability at the federal level or in other states remains uncertain. The outcome of the upcoming appeal and the kind of relief the plaintiffs may get is yet to be determined. Another interesting aspect is Montana's status as a major coal producer. How this plays out in their appeal could set a course for future court narratives confirming government responsibility in the climate crisis. So it seems like even though the final outcome is hazy, this ruling adds significantly to the legal precedent in global climate litigation? Indeed, Connie. Both NPR and the Harvard Law School agree that this judgment could potentially become a benchmark in future climate litigation worldwide. There has been a steep increase in climate-related lawsuits in the past five years, more than double. This verdict could spark even more. 
Quite the significant step in climate litigation. Thanks for detailing this complex story for us, Grace. Always happy to help decipher these compelling stories, Connie. Our third story of the day relates to a landmark achievement in space exploration. India has now joined the ranks of countries that have successfully landed a spacecraft near the moon's south pole. This accomplishment was made by the Indian spacecraft named Chandrayaan-3. To delve deeper into this historic event, let's bring in Ethan, our space correspondent. Ethan, tell us more about the Chandrayaan-3 mission and its significance. Absolutely, Connie. The Chandrayaan-3 mission represents a major milestone for India's space exploration program. The spacecraft's mission was to study the largely unexplored South Pole region of the Moon, a place believed to hold frozen water and valuable resources. This is crucial to future astronaut missions considering the potential presence of water ice, which not only provides a potential resource for moon colonies but also for future Mars missions due to its potential for drinking water, fuel, and even oxygen. That seems like a large responsibility for this spacecraft, and yet it's achieved its landing successfully, correct? Yes, and that's notably significant considering its predecessor. Back in 2019, India attempted a similar landing with their Chandrayaan-2 spacecraft, but unfortunately, it ended in a failure due to a software glitch. The successful landing of Chandrayaan-3 essentially represents a comeback for India, showcasing the country's determination and growing prowess in space technology. That's a particularly commendable achievement. Ethan, could you shed some light on how the success of this mission differs from other attempts in the lunar region? Well, what stands out about Chandrayaan-3's landing is that the moon's south pole presents a significant challenge. The terrain is rough, with deep trenches and craters, which makes any landing attempt quite complicated. Despite these challenges, India managed to pull off a soft landing, setting a precedent for future lunar missions to that region. That's truly noteworthy. So what are the potential implications, considering all the interest in this region? This success surely opens up new opportunities for scientific research and resource exploration. The mission's aim isn't just to explore but also to collect soil samples and execute scientific experiments on the lunar surface. The data collected will enhance our understanding of the moon's resources and evolution, and will also help in planning future lunar exploration missions. The impact on future missions sounds considerable. It seems like the Prime Minister of India shares that sentiment as well. Absolutely, Connie. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi has celebrated the success of this mission, stating it belongs to all of humanity. This achievement aligns seamlessly with his vision of showcasing India's technological advancements on the global stage. He hopes that missions like the Chandrayaan-3 inspire the youth to cultivate a passion for science and technology. And the impact of this mission extends beyond India too, doesn't it? Indeed it does, Connie. It solidifies India as a major player in the global space industry, and could potentially affect the dynamics of international space exploration and competition. Fascinating insight as always, Ethan. Thank you for breaking down the significance of this groundbreaking mission. Always a pleasure, Connie. We're moving on to our final news piece for today. According to anonymous sources cited by Reuters, a noteworthy development has emerged in the pharmaceutical industry. Danish company Novo Nordisk has enlisted Thermo Fisher to be the second contract manufacturer for its weight loss drug Wegovi. Chloe, walk us through the logistics of this arrangement. Absolutely, Connie. 
This deal sees Thermo Fisher taking on the role of filling Wegovy injection pens in their North Carolina factory. Now, this move by Novo Nordisk to rope in a second manufacturer is aimed at amping up production of Wegovy, owing primarily to its high demand in the United States. Interesting. So this expansion is an answer to the U.S. demand. But I recall there were some production issues at their first manufacturing site in Belgium. Correct. Connie, they did face some production hiccups at their initial contract manufacturer's facility in Belgium. By bringing Thermo Fisher into the play, Novo Nordisk is effectively expanding its manufacturing capabilities to meet the need head-on. Let's talk a little about Wegovy. It was launched in the U.S. in June 2021, correct? Yes, Wegovy hit the U.S. pharmaceutical market in the middle of last year. What's extraordinary about it is that it's a highly effective weight loss drug. Clinical data shows that it can bring about an average weight loss of around 15% when it's used alongside a diet and exercise regimen. Being the first in a new class of weight loss medications, Wegovy has gained popularity among consumers seeking help with weight management. Quite an advancement in the field of weight loss solutions. Now wasn't there also mention of a third manufacturing plant in the pipeline? Indeed, Connie. While talking about future manufacturing plans, Novo Nordisk's CFO, Karsten Munk Knudsen, mentioned in May that a third plant would be operational later in the same year. However, no further details about this third partner have been shared since. Fascinating. And what might the implications of this development be, Chloe? Well, Connie, this move to team up with Thermo Fisher is a significant one for Novo Nordisk. It's expected to help the company stay ahead of the curve by enhancing its production capacity. This, in turn, would allow them to meet the growing demand for Wegovy in the United States more efficiently. It sounds like a forward-thinking strategy that holds potential to help many individuals battling weight issues. Well, thank you very much for that comprehensive report, Chloe. My pleasure, Connie. Always glad to share and discuss these important developments with you. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, Eleven Labs, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.